0: Um, Hey, we're in Romans 5. This is a very complicated passage of Scripture. There are lots of words that Paul uses that we need some explanation of. Some of us are very familiar with them. If you've grown up in the church, you've heard a lot of these words before, but there's this old is this old idea that familiarity with a term does not necessarily equal understanding of the spiritual concept. I'm going to give you up front a couple of those words. We're going to define them for you. There's always more to these words that I'm giving you, but this is enough for reference for today. Now, we talked about a little bit righteousness. We've talked about that. You've heard that several times, but we defined that a couple of weeks ago as faithfulness to the covenant that we have with God. God is always righteous. God says, I will be your God. You will be my people. God is always faithful to that. He's always righteous. He's always faithful to that covenant. But we fall short. So the righteousness that's talked about here is what we call imputed righteousness. So it's not our righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ that's put on us. So Christ's faithfulness becomes our faithfulness. Another word is reconciliation. Now, that's one that's pretty easy. What do you do with your bank account? Or what do you do with your checkbook? Now, those of you who don't have checkbooks, you just go to the ATM and you check your balance. And that's just not wise telling you. Um, To reconcile your account is to make sure your account balanced. So you know what credits are there, what debits are there, you know what's cleared, what hasn't. So when God reconciles us to himself, we have an awful lot of debits and his imputed righteousness is credited to us and it balances out our account and makes us right with the creditor. So when we're reconciled, we're made right with God and we no longer are owing to either sin or the enemy of God. Okay? So reconciliation you're made right with God your accounts are balanced not because you paid it but because someone else paid it for you righteousness is faithfulness to God's covenant we can't be faithful Jesus was faithful we get his righteousness as credited it's credited to us as if it's our own and, and balances our accounts justified is to be is to be declared innocent even though you're guilty okay in the scriptures and then there's one that a word that we're going to use but isn't isn't spoken here. Um, the, the title of the message you'll see is More Than a Recap. Now, when you say to someone or you hear someone on the news, they say, Hey, just a recap, that means let's tell it again, right? Or reminding us. Now, that word recap that we use is actually short for a word called recapitulation. No kidding it's a vocab word from, you know, 11th grade, that kind of thing. But this, what we're going through here, what Paul is doing is he is for the first time articulating the recapitulation, the recap theory of the atonement. Atonement is making the payment that credits you, that balances out your accounts, that reconciles your accounts with God, and, and that's the righteousness of Christ. So atonement is the payment the righteousness is the faithfulness it's not ours it's Christ and it's put on us and that reconciles us or makes us right with god by balancing our accounts so the recapitulation theory or the recapitulation articulation of the atonement is jesus or is paul telling us that jesus there's a lot of other there's other ways you can look at the atonement but the way paul looks at it here is that jesus replaces all the fault that Adam brought. So through Adam, all die and all have sinned. Through Christ, all can be made right, reconciled, justified, all of those other big churchy words that we've been talking about. The only other word that I'll show, that I'll throw out today that's not in the scriptures, but that you will, we'll hear it used is sanctification. Now, when we get to the part about the Holy Spirit that lives in us and makes us wholeheartedly willing and able to live faithfully, um, That process, that idea of sanctification, we're already made right, but we're already not yet. Sanctification is, Jesus loves you just the way you are, but he refuses to leave you that way. The process by which he doesn't leave you that way is what we call sanctification. Lots of big words, I know, and I know that if if I were sitting there, I'd be going, really, glazed over eyes, a little drool coming out of your mouth. But I want you to know that Paul articulates these things for the first time in human history. He, he's able to say something that no one else had ever put together. God had been doing this all along, and I'll do my best to show you that. But I want you to know that Paul builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. And there's a lot of redundancies, a lot of uh, recaps, a lot of... It can get kind of confusing. I'll just leave it at that. The first part isn't about the recapitulation theory. The second part is... Here's how it, well, let me say a prayer, because i got to get it right, too. Lord, I'm asking for your words, and especially in the reading. Um, You know that that's always a struggle for me, and I don't want it to be a struggle today, because if I I get confused in the spoken word, then it's just going to confuse people all the more. So I'm asking for clarity of mind, and for my eyes to always read just a little bit ahead so I see what's coming. And Lord, in this message, if there's something you have planned to say that I haven't planned, make it, make it clear, and I'll speak your words to your people. But if there's something I have planned to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. So convict me of it, and then wipe it from my memory so that your people don't hear anything that's not from you. And Lord, again, this isn't my message for them, it's your message for us. Help us to receive it well and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, I just want you to, sometimes we get confused as Christians. Sometimes we get confused as people that are seeking Christ. He doesn't say, I'm going to rejoice for my sufferings. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings. Just like Jesus didn't save us in our sin, he saved us from Our sin, those prepositions matter. We're not told to be thankful, yay, I'm so glad I get to suffer. But you can, even though you're suffering, you can choose to rejoice. Paul is saying that because of suffering comes perseverance. Because of perseverance, it creates character, and character leads us to hope. And the hope of God never disappoints. And He's given us the ability by putting the Holy Spirit in our soul. He's giving us the ability to remain faithful through Christ and through faith in him. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. we have now received reconciliation i know paul saying this there was nothing good about us we talked about that last week that there was bad news more bad news and some really good news we talked a couple of weeks ago. In fact, I quoted my friend, Burt Bolt, who was here, that talks about sin being a parasite. It, it gets in there, and it starts to suck everything out of your life. It starts, to, it starts to destroy you and to separate you from God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But Paul's saying that even when we were that angry at or frustrated with or had this, this, this pushback to God, even when we were behaving as if we were his enemies, he decided that even when we were behaving that way to come in and reconcile us to him, how much better is it now that we have been reconciled? How much more might we live in gratitude to God because of what he's done? And he didn't do it because we wanted it. He did it even though we didn't. He made us right. He reconciled us. He justified us. He made us innocent even when we weren't asking for it, because we were incapable of even wanting that which God gave us. So Paul is setting up to show the the, the Christians in Rome, both the the Jewish converts to Christianity and the rest of us, those who weren't Jewish, Scripture calls us Gentiles. He's saying to us, don't you get it? Don't you see how amazing this is? He's trying to say to us, don't live in the perpetual state of I'm a worm. I'm terrible. I have the natural tendency to hate God and my neighbor. I know. And that's catechism. It's good stuff. But remember that catechism says guilt. Yeah. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Gratitude. He's trying to show us and he's going to walk us through the history of creation to the point of Jesus and to the point of the church and say to us, don't miss this. And he builds and builds and builds, and it will be confusing and confusing and confusing. And after he's done, I'm going to do my best to sum it up in a way that you'll see that God has not changed his desire from the first moment he breathed life into Adam and into Eve to now. His desire is the same. His purpose is the same. His hope is the same. And he wants to restore us to the point they were before they ate the chocolate. Now, those of you who are guests, You don't know that yet, but I'm pretty sure that no woman in the world would ever risk eternal bliss for an apple. (laughs) Okay, so here we go. This is confusing, but I'm gonna do my best here. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sinned, for before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account. Sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Now, he's saying from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, because Moses is when we get the the law, we get the Ten Commandments. We'll go back to that in a little while. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern for the one to come. He's pointing to Jesus at this point. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if many, if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by, by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses, trespasses but brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man, death, reign through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that, all, uh, so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Huh. Anyone be able to sum that up? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do my best. I've for years have been fascinated by this passage. It's, it's frustrating and glorious all at the same time. So he's, he, he's recapping the history of God with his people. And here he's talking about, we know that Jesus is the son of God. We know that he's the Messiah. We know that he's the Savior. We know that he's Lord, the prophet, priest, and king. We know all of those things. But here is where Paul is articulating what Jesus meant when he said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, young man, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, this is what he's talking about. A son, a son's job in this culture is... And we would hope that it would be in, 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 in the culture that we live in today. But in this culture, in the biblical culture, a son's job, his, the reason he's born, is to not only be an heir to his father to get everything from it, but if his father, uh, he's supposed to live a life in such a way that brings glory to his father, that, brings, that continues on the family's good name. But if a father messes up his good name, the son's job is to restore it. If Adam is the father of humanity... And Jesus is the Son of Man, one of the reasons Jesus came is to set right everything that Adam set wrong. So let's go back. When God, each day that God created something, when He separated the, the light from the darkness, He said it was Tobe, Hebrew for good. And when he, when, he, when he separated the land from the sea, Tobe, it was good. And when he put the birds in the air and the creatures on the ground, and it was good. And then it came to that sixth day, and he made Adam. And Adam just means one of the dirt or earthling. He made him out of dust or out of mud or out of clay or whatever. And he breathed life. He breathed life into Adam. And when Adam stood up, he was walking and talking and knowing and loving the one who created him. And God said, I give you dominion. I give you stewardship over the creation. See, God started big, and then he, with the light and the darkness and the chaos and the order, he started big, and then each little thing got, each, each day got a little bit closer, and then he's at the center now with Adam. And they're walking and talking. He says, Adam, whatever you name the animals, that is what they will be called. Whatever you name the plants, that is what they will be called. You can eat and, and do anything that you want to do. But then he said, instead of Tob, he said, It's not good for man to be alone. So he he took him and he laid him down. He took something from him and he made, oh man, he made Eve. And he gave her a title, Etzer Konegdo, one who completes, one who comes alongside, one who is on par with Adam. And God, it's at that point that God says, we have made humanity in our own image, male and female. So, it's not that one is less than the other, that one's there to serve the other. That's not the biblical narrative. That is not the biblical command. That is not God's desire. Are there different roles? Are there different ideas? Sure. But it's not that one is lesser than the other, any more than the Father is less or greater than the Son, any more than the Spirit is less or greater than the Father or the Son. And He said to him, Do whatever you want, except one thing. At the center, there's a tree. And all you have is the knowledge of good. You only know shalom, walking, talking, knowing, and loving with the God of the universe and with creation. Just don't do this. Because that tree is the knowledge of good and evil. And as time goes on, as they, they walk in the cool of the day with God every day, walking, talking, knowing, and loving, one day something else enters the garden and he says to them, why don't you eat that? Oh, God said we can't will die. Oh, you're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. And they looked up and they saw that it looked like it was good for food. So they ate. And when they took that bite, when Adam bit into that big old apple-shaped chocolate, <laughs> everything changed. There is no more shalom, walking, talking, knowing, and loving God. There are shame, shame enters the world. Sin enters the world. But basically what they said is, not what you want, God, but what I want. Not your will, but mine be done. And everything changes after that. If you look, if you read through the first several chapters of Genesis, you will see how quickly things went from paradise to absolute chaos. It got so bad that God picked one man and his family and brought animals in, made a great big boat, and gave the world a bath. Every single person on the planet was wiped out except for one man and his family. God had to start it over. Not his intended creation, but it got so bad and so wicked and so evil so fast that he, he, he had to put some other restrictions in place. And you'll see time and time again, people will go off the, off the rails and then God will bring them back. Go off the rails and God will bring them back. And you see when, when God made this covenant with Abraham and he said, I will be your God. You will be my people. I will bless all the earth because of you. And if you're not faithful to this covenant, if I'm not faithful to this covenant, you can kill me. And if you're not faithful to this covenant, you can kill me. God's plan has been the same throughout all of history. But because of Adam, all of us are doomed. And we talked about that last week. We talked about that the week before that sin is a parasite, and every one of us born human, born of a woman, is guilty of and is infected with this disease that will separate us from God forever. And Paul is trying to show us that even though that's the case, God never gave up. And while Adam broke a command, all those people between Adam and Moses, there were no commands for them to break. But it was still sin. It was still selfish and not selfless. It was still self-concern and not other concern. It was still about me and my kingdom and not God and his. But God couldn't be walking, talking, knowing, and loving. Not because he wasn't capable, but because the people said, we don't want you. And so the only way he could show up to, to offer guidance in his people is either through prophets or through what we call theophanies. Theophanies examples. The burning bush, when it shows up, it, it, this bush is on fire, it speaks, it talks to, to Moses to go get my people. He goes, well, who should I tell him Send me? He gives a name, which is a powerful thing right there. But other times he shows up in one who looks like the son of man who wrestled with Jacob in Genesis 32, or one who showed up with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in Babylon in the furnace, and they went in, and they were, the three went in, and they, but there were four seen, they all came out not even smelling like smoke or when God um, shows up through water, living water from a stone. God is always walking, always talking to us, but we're not able to walk with him and talk with him because of the sin of one man brings condemnation and death to all. But God pursued, and there was a fire, and there was cloud, and there was smoke that he would lead his people, but there was this idea that God always lived in one spot. He was either at Mount Sinai, or he was in the burning bush, or he was in this box they made called the Ark of the Covenant. And then as time went on, as the law progressed, and before Jesus came, there was this big temple. And in the temple was this place, the Holy of Holies, and that's where the Ark resided. And every, once a year, they would go in and they would say, they would make offerings to God in the holiest of places, and God would then, with all the other rituals, he would forgive their sins. But just for one, one year at a time, At just the right time, God decides they can't do it. He knew that. It's ugly. It's as bad as it's going to be. So now I'm going to show them that even though they haven't been faithful to the covenant, they can kill me for it. So he shows up. Jesus is born, God with skin on, called the Incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. He's born a peasant. He grows up, and he begins his ministry, and what does he do? He starts in one spot, and he walks, and he talks, and he loves, and he knows, and he tells people as he's walking along and loving them how they might know him. So he's beginning to reset the original shalom of paradise, and he starts in one place, and then little by little, his circle of influence grows and grows and grows. He's resetting creation. God started huge and got down to the center. Jesus starts here and starts to spread it out. So it's not just for the Jews, it's also for us. And then at the very end, he goes back to the center. He goes back to the temple where God lives. And there we killed him. And when Jesus is up on the cross and he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, that is the point when Jesus... Finish the work as the son of man. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That is the moment. It's the only time in all the New Testament that Jesus calls God or calls the father God. God. He's, he's everything that humanity is at that point. And everything you've ever done wrong, every time you've ever been selfish, every time you've ever thought ill of another, every time you've ever stolen something from your mother's purse, every time you've cheated on a test, every time you thought about cheating on your taxes, every time you've been selfish with your spouse, every time you've been angry with your children, even though it was because you had a bad day, not because they were being bad kids. All of that stuff gets pinned to him. And it's not just that it's like a little, a little nail that you nail into him. He becomes that sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And you know what he did when he said, it is finished and the curtain tore from top to bottom in the Holy of Holies. God no longer lives in a, in a box. God no longer lives in brick and mortar. From that point forward, God is available to all. And Jesus who dies, he becomes your sin. He takes it to hell and he leaves it there where it belongs. And then about 36 hours later, he's raised again from the dead the third day, Sunday morning. He, the, the stone wasn't rolled away because Jesus had to get out. The stone was rolled away so we could see in that it's empty. And then he appears to people three at a time and five at a time and 11 at a time. And then one time, 500 at a time so that we would know that God came to restore things, that he wants to have a walking, talking, knowing, and loving relationship with us. This is the recap of the story of God, the recapitulation theory. That God, through Christ, is going to pay and make your account right. He's going to make the payment. He's going to reconcile you to God and to one another. And he's going to justify you. Even though you've been guilty, he's going to declare you innocent. And Paul goes through this. And so that every Jewish person who's reading this like, oh, oh, oh. And God, Paul, and I think because God inspired Paul to write this, God's saying, do you see Do you see how big of a deal this is? Do you understand all those churchy words, what they mean? That grace comes to you. God's riches at Christ's expense, not at your own. That everything you deserve to pay, he has paid for you. And that which you do deserve, he chooses not to give to you. He became your sin. And the perfection of Christ... Fixing what his father Adam had done wrong, he makes right. So that, again, from the center and begin to build outwardly, Christ through his church can begin to show the world what God wanted them to show the world from the beginning that God is good, that he seeks, he pursues, he loves, he hopes, and he wants to transform every person on the planet. God does not will that any would perish, it's not his desire but he also doesn't force himself upon us. The enemy does. Sin does. But God waits for us to say, I accept what you've done for me. He doesn't say, this is what I've done, and this is how you'll live. That's not how he works. Why? Because he loves the world. A despot, a dictator, imposes will on another. A loving father and a friend offers opportunity, and you choose to say yes or no to. So the book of Romans, in one way, can be explained this way. It's guilt. (laughs) Grace. So live in gratitude. It's sin. There's salvation. Now serve the one who loves you. (laughs) It's uh uh-oh. Oh, That's the theological way of putting it. Here's the thing. Here's the poke. Here's the question. Does your life look like God's love for you is so great that you don't even know how to receive it? Does your life look like you're so grateful that he's not counting your sin against you, but instead counted it against his son? Sometimes we act like we're a little disappointed in what God did because we want we want the good stuff. We want the oh I'm saved, good I'm not going to burn. We want we like that part, but this whole part of of my life's going to show something different. We kind of to use the um, the Greek we kind of poo-poo that. Why? Because that means we're not our own. And we desperately want to be our own. And that's exactly what Adam and Eve chose. I don't belong to you, belong to me. I'm going to do what I want to do. Everything that's wrong in the world, from weeds and drought and floods and hurricanes, tornadoes, from other religions killing in the name of God, to racism, to economic. Crises and some that have and some that do not, all of those things are a result of that. Of us thumbing our nose at God and saying, not your will, but mine be done. That is not God's plan. But we are not our own, but we belong body and soul in life and in death to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So, remember and Paul tells us right here that God gives us the Holy Spirit. The same Spirit, and we can get so caught up in, no, oh, I've been so bad, I need to be more grateful and be terrible as me. That's not the desire that God has. He reminds you that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same one lives in you. Because when the temple, or when the, when the temple curtain tore, and that opened up on 40 days at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit of God that had hovered over the chaos at creation, the same spirit, the ruach of God that that hovered over Jesus and a voice came down from heaven and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That same spirit that that pulled Jesus from the tomb, that from death, is the same spirit that lives inside of you. Now. And so you don't have to go, woe is me, terrible is me. You go, thank God that I am capable Every power, everything that God has ever done, the power, he tells us that we will do greater things than him. So everything that Jesus could do, everything that God God does, everything that the Holy Spirit of God does, we have that same power, authority, and we're heirs to his throne. So that parasite, don't give it power. You have an inoculation living in you. So yes, you're going to be pursued by this parasite of sin, and it's going to influence your life. But if you keep giving into it, instead of confessing it, repenting of it, asking forgiveness, receiving forgiveness, and then asking God to magnify the Holy Spirit in you so that you have the ability to show people who your God is by how you live. God's not kidding around. So why are we? Take these things you've heard from me And then trust them to yourself and to others. God wants you to be walking and talking and knowing and loving him. What he did in the beginning, he did with Jesus, and he's doing now. And instead of Jesus coming to set things right, he set things right, and he gives us the authority to continue that process. So walk with him, talk with him, love him, know him, and call others to do the same. But by loving Jesus and loving others, it's not for your benefit, it's for his. Sin, salvation, service, guilt, grace, gratitude. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for Paul. Thanks for his conversion, for his no-holds-barred approach to the gospel. Thanks for his intellect, and even for some of his run-on sentences, because it makes us pause and think and dissect and understand. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is and was and always has been the son of you, but we also thank you that he is and was the son of man that he set right what we put wrong. Lord, give us the courage and the grace to walk with you, to talk with you, to know you, and to love you as you walk with us and talk with us and know us and love us. In Jesus' name we pray, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now, a lot of churchy words, a lot of of big theological words today, but the one that I want you to think about as you leave here is reconciliation that your accounts balance. Not You got a lot of debits, and Christ credits it to you so that you're balanced, that you're right with God. And then the Scripture tells us, Paul tells us that we have been given this, the ministry of reconciliation. So that means we're supposed to go and live and talk and love and walk and know and say to folks, your accounts can balance. Someone's paid for all your debits, and it's credited to you, righteousness. All you have to do is say, yes, Lord. How you live, what you say, where you go, you do it all in the name of and for the sake of Jesus. Let us be a people who carries out the ministry of reconciliation in a way similar to that of Paul. Because that is our call. The Lord bless you and keep you, and make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. So look on God's face. You know this. God, smile at you and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Amen. Go with it in the peace of Christ.